Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, You have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at nfl.com slash pro football focus nfl i'm so excited to be welcoming hot boxing with mike tyson to the podcast one family listen as mike tyson the baddest man on the planet pours his soul into conversations with fascinating minds celebrities and athletes along with his cosmic millennial sidekick and former nfler even britain kid dynamite dives deep into the issues impacting us all today this podcast will change the way you see the world don't miss Hot Boxing with Mike Tyson every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo here with Sam Monson. We're live having breakfast with everyone on YouTube here. Yeah, got the coffee. 8 a.m. Yeah, thanks. You're welcome. I had limited amount of carrying capacity and Austin had already bitched at me. So this, you you, have a venti Starbucks coffee. Well, yeah, you right now are bitching at me. Yeah. So next time that will, that will motivate me to get you one. Austin did this last time. So I got him one this time. This is like influencing the refs. Yeah. If you complain about enough calls, right. You'll get the next one. You spend all week bitching about, you know, look at the tripping and then suddenly you get two random tripping calls out of nowhere. That's how you do it. I mean, I'm, I'm a little disappointed that we're sitting here. We, we, we have an early podcast Mm -hmm. and you rolled in. I saw you double fisted, double Starbucks walking in. And I was like, oh, look at this. My podcast partner got something for me. Yeah. Nope. Drops no. it on Austin's desk uh-huh. instead. Yeah. Well, look, as I say, he complained about it last time. So he got the coffee Next this time. time. You've done it this time. So 
you can like you can pencil one in for the next time. That Venti dark roast. That's what I like. Something simple. Gotcha. Now, since it is the holiday season, though, mm-hmm. if you drop the peppermint mocha, or uh, I'm never ordering one of those gingerbread for you. No. What I, I, I get into the holiday season lattes. Yeah. No, I can't. Yeah. I'm not ordering something with pumpkin spice latte gingerbread my peppermint mocha i'm all in on all those with the one exception of the time i ordered a bumblebee with a buzz just to find out what it was i stick to very simple coffee orders i can't be the whole you know half calf double yeah i know i can't it's look do you remember that i want a venti coffee please i put that tweet out there a couple years ago and people thought it was real what from the combine i was like just stood behind a general manager and i made up some ridiculous order and i said (laughs) half calf double shot which of course offsets each other right and people were just like (laughs) they started off guessing who the gm was because we were at the combine i was like just stood behind a gm and this was his ridiculous starbucks order they were trying to guess who the gm was and then other people were trying to figure out why he would go half calf double shot yeah and uh it was awesome but it sounded like a real starbucks order. i would love to hear there being a reason for that you know all oh, right with a complicated i see that yeah like i don't want the regular coffee caffeine i just want the espresso ca- like i don't i don't know there's somebody yeah. probably does i'm that. just saying i'm not org- ordering you anything that contains peppermint or pumpkin spice i'll or, take a venti dark roast right that's what's happening it's usually the christmas blend here yeah anyway we're all creeping back toward average here as we get ready for Thanksgiving, we're going to go through all of the games. And if you guys are traveling for Thanksgiving, hopefully you've got a nice full uh, two to six hour podcast here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Break it all Somewhere down in there. We'll see where we land. Yeah. Um, any other housekeeping items? Uh, no. So this is the preview podcast for this week. There will be no other. Uh, there will be no other. No, this is it. Week 13. Let's get right into it. We got some uh, sponsors. We got some other promo codes coming out too. That's yeah, gonna, there is a gonna stay tuned for that. The PFF promo code mm-hmm. coming up. All right, let's get into the Thanksgiving games. Are you going to be you plops down on the couch just watching every game or you got a host? What, what are you doing? Uh, so my, like, my parents have come up to visit. So we have to clean the entire house, which is what happens when your parents come to visit. Oh, yeah. Including I had to rent a carpet cleaner. Right. Which turned into the most ridiculous ordeal in the world. I have a Kroger that's like two minutes from my front door. Right. And I know that they rent these things. It's like, sweet. I just go to Kroger, rent it and take five minutes. Roll in there. I've got them sitting on the shelves and they just like hang a piece of paper over. It says out of order. Hmm. So you're like, okay, fine. None of this Kroger. So I looked up the, the online thing and they had them at Walmart, which is like 10 minutes further down the road. Right. So I go to Walmart or I order it online because you can reserve them go to Walmart to pick it up and they have what amounts to a giant carpet cleaning vending machine. Right. What? Yeah. So it's like, it's big square thing and they're behind these doors. And when you scan your thing that you just booked and it unlocks the door and you wheel it away. Right. Vending machine broken. The machine is broken and there's a tech coming to fix it sometime later in the week. Did you have to clean your carpets just because your parents are coming into town? Are they like neat freaks? Are you just really trying to impress them? No, but the state of the guy. <laughs> I got you. They kind of needed to be done anyway. I and if this was the, the moment that spurred action, right? I don't know if it was like the doctors are coming into town and, you know. No, no, no. Like there was like, there anything. was concerning stains on them from, you know, two years of six-year-old child oh, yeah. on them. Understandable. So I then have to ring them up and get them to refund that because they can't fix the machine, right? And then the lady on the phone gives me like several alternate locations where they exist. 
So two more Kroger's down. I'm like, right, this is the last Kroger I'm going into. And if they don't have one here, I don't care. I'm just not doing it. Finally get one. Wheel at home. Giant heavy thing. You then have to like load this thing up with hot water. It's like a giant vacuum. It's like, it's like vacuuming but with all the worst parts made worse, right? It's heavier. It makes the carpet wet underneath you in a way that a vacuum doesn't. It's yeah. just, it's a, it's a disaster. How long do you have this thing for? I rented it for 48 hours. It's actually right now, it is sitting in the passenger seat of my car on the way back. I might run home. Can I borrow it during lunch? Oh, you can take it home at lunch. That's I, I've got it until like 7 p.m. this evening. So if you want to you wanna clean a rug between now and then. Honestly, I might run home to to take care of, you know, our, we have six, our Thanksgiving is six yeah. uh, children, five five and under, yeah, that running seems, around that my seems house. seems like a mistake. Only three of which are mine. Right. So this will be... Um, Quite the adventure. So yeah. The, so anyway, the, that's great. So my wife You're Laura was like, um, you know, we could we save hundreds from getting a guy clean. We should think about doing this like every few months. I was like, well, how many hundreds? Because this was a giant pain in the ass. <laughs> oh no! At some point, it's okay to pay people for, like, right for things you like, don't want to do. We, we need to talk price because there's yeah. quite a large sum of money I'd be willing to pay to not have to oh, do this absolutely. again. Well, that's great. I'm glad. Uh, Glad the carpet's clean over there. Yeah. So anyway, that's what we're doing. We're hosting my parents in a renewedly clean house. And if you have a better carpet cleaner as a potential sponsor, let us know. Yeah. Or someone that's willing to do it for cheap. Yeah. We'll we'll push you here on the podcast. All right. Now let's get into all the Thanksgiving action. Chicago Bears at the Detroit Lions. It's a Thanksgiving tradition. Mm. The noon 1230, whatever it is, 1230 game at Detroit. They usually don't have the same game two years in a row. It used to be like the Lions would play an AFC team one year and then the NFC team the next year and they'd switch with the Cowboys. This is an exact rematch from last year's, you know, Bear, it was Bears-Lions last year. Right. More importantly, it's it's Jeff Driscoll against Mitchell Trubisky. Yeah. Hey, Mitchell looked all right last week. It's going to be our uh He our has weekly. legitimately... He's creeping back to an average. He's creeped back toward average over yeah. the last couple of weeks. Shop.pff.com. I mean, the... Um, improvement in Trubisky it's not like it's very Bortlesy right I mean there yes. are enough games where he looks I mean very like emphasis on the average right yeah. he's a world away from good sure but he's not grading in the 40s anymore so on one hand I thought the offense looked a little bit cleaner last week for the Bears it had a little bit of that trickeration and there was a wide open seam route that was dropped that should have right. been an easy big uh big chunk play like they're scheming it up a little bit better on the other hand <laughs> It was the Giants yes. in their secondary. Yeah. So this is it was interesting because this is what the offense should have looked like, right? right? Which is basically like, it's functioning, guys are open, and now Trubisky's just made, making enough misses to make it interesting. As opposed to before, yeah. where it's like, this is just nothing functions because Trubisky is playing so bad, we can't even execute any sort of offense. Like, this is just, this is what the offense should look like, and now the quarterback is holding it back. To a regular degree. Right. But like to a winnable degree. I mean, you beat the Giants playing like this. The Lions are now no great shakes either. You can win with Trubisky playing merely average football, which he's been playing the last couple of weeks. He has. So maybe it won't be that much of a disaster of a game. Plus it's in the dome. Yes. And it'll help if Khalil Mack has another game like he had last week where he absolutely wrecks his opposing uh, blocker, which in this case would be Taylor Decker. Yeah. Decker's just been okay. Yes. Uh, uh, let's have a look. He last time I terribly last week against Chandler Jones. This isn't last week. This is um, uh, 
this that, week one. Week one, he graded terribly. Um, last week, he did well against the Redskins. He's actually on a run of good form. Um, over the season, he's been okay. 60s, but, right? In the 60s? Uh, he's clawed his way up into the 70s. 73.2 overall. And that's basically down to the last month, right? Against Oakland, no pass rush. Chicago, the last time. Um, Dallas and Washington. We've got four straight pretty good games, which has pulled his grade right up. Well, there you go. But we've seen, I mean, he is he is on the other end of arguably Kilo Max's finest career highlight, which was just running the hell right through yeah. Taylor Decker. So there's definitely the capacity for that to happen again. Uh, so there's uh, certainly a matchup to watch there. Driscoll's had a, a rough stretch the last few weeks. I mean, he that's, look, he, he's really only played one decent stretch of football ever in his career yeah and it was when he transferred from florida to louisiana tech he was always a little bit toolsy you know decent arm athletic could run a little bit and the thing the thing that could work with these lions receivers again when you have marvin jones and you have kenny galladay and you've got hawkinson um what we've seen from stafford is that aggressiveness throwing the ball down the field you know that that gives driscoll in this past game a shot in any given week right so he's he is a bad quarterback along with a bunch of other bad quarterbacks but unlike the other guys he has the yeah he has the tools he has the physical abilities to make random big plays that will make you forget about a lot of bad or at least make people intrigued enough to live with the bad, hoping that eventually they can swing the balance back towards, you know, the good things and away from the bad. Right. So in a way that like if, you know, if Ryan Finley did all the things that Jeff Driscoll did and, you know, substituted one crazy big play for just a couple more, you know, decent plays, you would be dramatically more inclined to run with Driscoll than you would with Finley because... Yeah, I mean, if Finley could do that, they would have had a shot last week. For all the bad that there was against Pittsburgh, if you can sneak right. one of those big plays but in. But it's just amazing the sort of the difference that it makes to attitude and perception, right? It's like you're looking at a fundamentally bad player who, because of these, the propensity to every now and again will make a crazy play happen. You're like, ooh, ooh. You know the way, like the, like we were talking about Mariota, right? The second you wanted to bench him, yeah. he'd make a big play, and we're like, oh, okay, fine, let's give him a little bit longer. It, it, this is like the same thing, but, you know, in terms of maybe we give him a bit longer in future, you know, yeah. it's like every one of those big plays buys him like another three quarters of bad play. Yeah. But yet ultimately, you know, it's, <laughs> it's never going to happen. Like it, it's a, we just wasted everybody's time. It's a good game to kick things off. I, it's either a good one or a terrible one, right? You either this either needs to go at the start where everybody's too busy, you know, eating and stuff, or it needs to come at the end when everybody's hammered and doesn't care. No, I think it's at the beginning when people are still cooking. Okay. Or it's you just know. on in the background. It's background yeah. noise. It's the background noise game. Okay. It's like your noon Big Ten kickoff. You know, it's like Iowa, Minnesota. But Minnesota's good this year. It's, it's Northwestern and Purdue right. at noon. Yeah. And it just feels like Yeah, it's a good I like game. I like that description. It's background as, you know, you're you're finishing the meal. Who wins the, meal. the background noise bowl? The background noise bowl. I've gone Detroit. All right, I'm going with the Bears. Okay. Trust that defense and uh Trubisky's averageness. Which he's crept back to. Crept back toward uh, mediocrity. All right. The the four o'clock game. Buffalo Bills at the Dallas Cowboys. I like this game. It's not it's not flashy on paper because, it, you know, the Bills, they've got a great defense. Mm-hmm. 
I think it, I'm seeing people tweeting about, hey, do you guys still um, people are taking victory laps over people not saying Josh Allen was a bust. Well, let's get to let's get into some what? Right. People think Josh Allen's fantastic because they're winning and he's and he is scoring some touchdowns. Hmm. Um, like throwing some and rushing for some. This entire right. season appears to have been just people waiting for the opportunity to take victory laps on everything. And so the victory, fact, lap- honestly, that's what Twitter seems to be now. Oh man, people I, I, just waiting for the chance to take a victory lap on anything. I just saw somebody in the industry being like, "Well, look, Josh Allen. You know, he's he's turned out pretty good. I mean, I I think he's become other than the fact that he hasn't been accurate throwing the ball down the field, and he has been much better in the short game." Mm-hmm. The overall body of work, which is inconsistent, and the fact that they're winning is very dependent on the defense. And I even said he does have some of that high-end ability, which includes the rushing, where he could put up a ton of touchdowns, but the throw-for-throw efficiency still just isn't there, right? I am going to firmly stick with this as a 2017 Jags and 2018 Bears situation, which needs to be monitored closely. Josh Allen's development. as nice, He's done a lot of nice things this year. But I don't think we've answered any questions about his future this year, or many. No. What did um, I just kick? It's hard to tell. Uh, I know that, so I, you have to add in the rushing, right, which is obviously an important part of this. But he is thrown for like 80 more yards than Gardner Minshew, who oh, yeah. obviously hasn't played for stretches this season. Allen has seven rushing touchdowns. He's been a threat with his legs. His fumbles have been a disaster. That's why the rushing grade's down. People are debating that in the... His, in the comments, he's, he's got the third most fumbles in the NFL. Second his, most. His passer rating is 86, which is uh, it's like one point higher than Philip Rivers, who people are writing eulogies for. It's six points higher than Jared Goff, who is termed a disaster. Right. Yeah, I mean, now. it's it's below average. Now, as I say, obviously, days. you're de- it's well below average. Obviously, you're dealing with it's just, and he's 31st in PFF grades. Yeah. So let's, well, let's screen out some uh, some low level people. What did I say? It was eighty? It's twenty sixth. It's below Sam Darnold. It's below Daniel Jones for God's sake, who's leading the league in so, turnover worthy plays since he's got into the, the game. My whole thing when that whole draft class came out, Baker, Darnold, Lamar, and all that stuff. I mean, I know people want to make declarations here in year two. But my whole point when we said Baker was the top quarterback was, hey, Baker will probably have more of the top seasons of that class than any than any other guy. But in any given season, it could, Donald could be the best of that group and Lamar could be the best of that group. Just like if you look at the careers of Dak, Wentz and Goff, that draft class, since they came in, Dak has been the best quarterback of that trio. Now, probably two out of those four seasons. Wentz was the best quarterback out of that trio in 2017. And Goff was the best group out of that group last year. Yeah. It's not... It's not just like, hey, let's stack them and that's going to remain right. the same. The, the more you do, the, the longer you do this, the more you understand that none of these things are static. Yeah. Things change year on year. Right. And you can't, you can't lock anything in as, well, this is decided. Like right now, right now, Lamar Jackson is playing insane football, right? He looks phenomenal. Um, that offense looks unstoppable collectively. Yep. The idea that, so like people are not, last week, or coming off Monday Night Football, that beat down um, the Ravens perpetrated, well, everyone is now asking, well, Lamar or Patrick Mahomes? Yeah, I mean, 
come on, like, like, just let it breathe a little bit before we go completely off the deep end. Like you, we just have not seen. That's enough. our industry, though, Sam. That is our industry. I know, but it's the last thing we saw. You know, have it was a little bit of self awareness to understand how this works. Imagine our industry work in the stock market. No, they would have been like Bitcoin's higher than ever. I'm buying like buy us. high, sell low. <laughs> That's what they would do. Yeah. Like we did. It's just, it's, it's silly. So that would be our industry. So the Josh Allen thing is interesting because he has made really significant strides in certain areas. He has become significantly more accurate this year than last year and in college. Now, it's within certain parameters, as we've discussed before. He still can't seem to hit the broad side of a barn door deep, except last week. Last week, he finally connected had a nice pass with, to John, with John, John Brown. Brown. But that's been there all season, right? And he hasn't hit those. Yep. Um, so he has taken a significant step forward. The jo- our narrative with Josh Allen was always, look, there's a way for him to be good. Yeah. He can, you know, there's, there's a potential for him to improve and get a lot better at these things. And if he does that, there's a way for him to be a viable, decent NFL quarterback. I think the jury's still out in terms of what exactly he is. We He's taken enough steps towards that goal where, you know, we talked a few weeks ago about which teams are still happy with their quarterback situation. I think he's improved enough that the Bills would still be happy, right? They're looking at next year going... Oh, they're happy. Because they're thinking of that linear development, right? It's right, like, we started off here, we took a step forward here, next year we'll be here. One or two years down the line, we're talking about an all-pro right here. Right. Now, we know that it doesn't always go that way, but I think as long as people are taking those steps, I think it's fine to think that way. You know, I don't think it's necessarily a bad move to... Um, to not to give credence to the idea that a guy can linearly get better year on year. So as long as Josh Allen is taking these steps in the right direction, I'm fine with the idea of saying, all right, he is the Bills franchise quarterback. They are winning games with him and the potential is there for him to get even better. But let's not act like he's already amazing because he isn't. They just need to be aware. We've seen we've seen this story before where people said, "Okay, there it is. We're good. And, you know, handle some of the warning signs. All that said, Allen is entertaining uh, because he can throw absolute lasers that show up. Um, And just to, to back up that other point, too, about like in any given season, we have a season on record in 2016 when he was at Wyoming where he outgraded Josh Rosen. He outgraded. Um, he was up there probably, I think, with Lamar. And I think he was up there with Darnold. Like there were a, there was a season where a lot of things came together and his big playability was spectacular and all that stuff. But his draft year, he was the worst of the group. Mm-hmm. He was bad, you know, for a guy that was going in the first round. Yeah. But you take the whole body of work and it's like, all right, you're going to you could have some ebbs and flows here in Josh Allen's development. Anyway, um, I'm really looking forward to the matchup on the other side. Yeah. The Bills defense, we talk about their pass coverage all the time and um, just how fundamentally sound they are. And Tredavious White uh, going up against the Cowboys and Amari Cooper. Um, I just want to say, too, so Amari Cooper was shut out last week. Mm -hmm. right? didn't have a catch. And in New England, there's a big deal about, well, Stephon Gilmore shut down Amari Cooper, which he did for the most part. Like, technically, he was in coverage on Amari quite a bit. And Amari Mm -hmm. caught zero catches, had zero catches. There was a negated drag route for a first down. Mm-hmm. And then there was Dak's big throw, that fourth down, beautiful pass away from coverage that Amari easily could have caught. Mm-hmm. So even though we were the ones, we didn't start the coverage, like we pushed the coverage stats as much as anyone. Please, the grade, 
tells the story more than the coverage stats. Gilmore got beat multiple times, and it was either negated by a penalty, Amari didn't catch the ball, or there was an overthrow. Dak had an overthrow in another one. Right. So also, let's remember there was a driving rainstorm, which will help. And there was a driving rainstorm in your passing game. So Stephon Gilmore is awesome. Yes, we love Stephon Gilmore. The interception was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. He's the highest graded corner in the NFL over the last two years. But let's not go crazy with this narrative. All that said, when you take Amari out of this offense, I know they had success a couple of weeks ago when he was banged up. But you take him out, it puts a little bit more pressure on everybody else. Amari's been one of the best at beating single coverage. Uh, the Bills will mix it up zone and man. But when he does match up against Tredavious White, old SEC battle, it'll be a good one. That will be a good one. And the other side will be good as well. Um, Michael Gallup versus Levi Wallace. Yeah. The other side. That, I mean, th- this is a really fun matchup between this Bills defense. that is so fundamentally sound, so good across the board against this Dallas offense. It's been one of the best in the NFL this year, last week, notwithstanding. Obviously, this week, they're going to be not in a driving rainstorm. Um, it's inside. It's in the dome. It's in the dome. So that will help, different. right? The offense should look back to its best. They're also unlikely to get two horseshit tripping calls. Yeah, those are bad. Yeah. Um, you might get, um, I would like every time Mahomes plays in a dome, I'm like, oh, he's going to throw that 80 yarder to Tyreek. We might get Josh Allen unleashing one on indoors one. here. Yeah. Throws it 90 yards to John Brown, who's 60 yards downfield. Yeah, I mean, just to, just to, like, that's, but that's how you set the tone. First play, you throw it as far as you can. Mm hmm. And really get it in Dallas's head that you you know you got to cover the whole field. Yeah. Then they'll start playing Greg Williams safety, and then it's like eleven on ten. Mm. Okay. Strategy. But I mean, that's what they should do against the Jets. Like, they actually, imagine <laughs> Greg Williams. <laughs> First Bills play are up at the goal line. They get the safety right. at the, at the safety's other already thirty yards off the off the line of scrimmage. First play, let's uncork one seventy yards downfield. Make him play 40, 40 yards off. That. Literally, just take him off the field. Essentially, that'd be great. Um, yeah. So if you're watching this game. Uh, you know, watch a little bit of the just watch the bills on the back end. They they create tight windows. That, that's that's the thing, right? A good passing offense creates open throws. A good pass defense, you know, tightens those windows and everything. That's where the battle is going to be because the Cowboys have done a great job of creating open throws for Dak. The Bills have done a really nice job of just making life difficult on opposing offenses. Mm-hmm. That'll be a good battle to watch. Yeah, I mean, this is I, I this is a fascinating game. This is. I think, yeah, this is the most exciting one of the Thanksgiving slate to me. Yeah, and the and the Bills have a they have a tough stretch here, so um, a big game. They're coming in eight and three, and I think you know everybody's out Dallas talent wise. Everybody's like, oh, they're six and five. They should be better than that, right? Mm-hmm. Probably, yeah. So big game here. Uh, I'm going Dallas. Same this one. Good offense always beats good defense and vice versa, as they say. The other interesting matchup in this will be the Buffalo D-line against Dallas's offensive line. Because oh, yeah. typically, good versus good, the pass protection wins. Um, but, you know, Buffalo do have the ability to get after the passer. They've got enough horses up front to get pressure. But will they be able to? And it's with few big names. Mm-hmm. Now they got Ed Oliver in first round, but it's not like he's dominating he's been good i mean it's just a bunch of good yeah up front guys like shaq lawson you know contributing and all Jerry that stuff. hughes lorenzo alexander like they've got they've got enough guys that can get after the quarterback um but they're going up against one of the best units all right and then after you've had your turkey mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you're exhausted and you're tired it's the beached whale bowl yeah it's the rematch saints at falcons 
I might straight actually... dome games. There, there's, there should be weather games on Thanksgiving. Yeah. Should, we should see all these games outdoors. And It's yeah. raining today. Um, raining know. here. Yeah. In Cincinnati it uh, is. Yes. Um, I might have been right about the beach whale thing. It's just that the explosion lasted a couple of weeks. Oh, you, you think it's still alive? Well, last week they went, they went way back towards what, yeah. what they'd been before. Um, I'm just saying, I'm just throwing it out there. Maybe, maybe it wasn't wrong. Falcons held the Saints to nine points. Yeah, how did, just a few. How weeks did ago. that happen? There's no way that happens twice, right? It was just a weird game. Like, so I used to always say, how do you stop? How do you stop Breeze or Brady or Peyton? You know those guys. And now Rogers. I mean, you just kind of show up and you can stop Rogers now. Now, how do you stop those guys? And I don't think there was ever like a clear strategy to stop them. And I don't think that, uh, there's no blueprints. Now, if people tell you the blueprint, all you have to do is get pressure with your front four 60% of the time. Well, okay, yes, you have to dominate hmm. a game up front, which defeats every quarterback. That's not called a blueprint. That's called just be better hmm. at, you know, at this one thing. Being better is quite a good blueprint winning game. It's a good blueprint. But I don't think there's any real strategy to beating those top elite quarterbacks when they're at their best. You almost have to hope... All right, you create a little bit of indecision that's usually not there. You kind of hope that they miss a few throws and, and all that stuff. I thought Breeze a few weeks ago was just a little off. They, they, the Falcons created enough indecision. Like he took five or six sacks. That never happens with Breeze. He's decisive, quick passing game. He knows where to go. And if the if if there's nobody open downfield, he'll find that check down as well as anybody. Um, there was just enough indecision from Breeze a few weeks ago mm-hmm. and you never see that at home don't we said this is the only time in the breeze era of the saints that they scored fewer than 10 points at home mm-hmm. first time ever yeah, it's since 2006 as i say that's not happening again so that's that's the big anomaly now you're going to atlanta which there's you know dome and dome whatever it's another nice nice easy place to chuck the ball around i would expect more of a shootout here yes they got almost nothing out of their offense and Atlanta scored 26. Yep. So this is more likely to come back to being, all right, now we're both in the 20s and we have a more interesting game. And that's what these teams have been playing for years now, is like these high-octane right. shootout type of games. Now, I think one thing that was interesting in the last game that they had was um, the Falcons had some monster performances up front. Like Grady Jarrett was a game-changer in that. They, they had one of those games where... An individual matchup along the, the trenches, the offense and defensive line, can wreck a game plan, right? If you do nothing yeah. to change it. Grady Jarrett had one of those games where he was just wrecking Andres Pete every single snap and caused major problems. Now, you would assume, having seen that happen, they would make some adjustments. Maybe think about, you know, double-teaming Grady Jarrett every now and again. The way, you know, we saw the Ravens against the Rams Aaron Donald was double teamed almost every single snap. Now, Aaron Donald still got some wins, but it was more than enough to basically take him out of that game. Um, the Saints really need to think about dedicating a little bit of resource to Grady Jarrett and just making sure that the reason they lose this game isn't because he is dictating the time Drew Brees has to throw. Right. Um, I think that should be eminently attainable, and that should go a long way toward changing it. Uh, Matt Ryan last week, at the time of recording the podcast, I think you threw out a turnover-worthy play number mm-hmm. for Matt Ryan. I think it ended up at six. 
six. Ouch. So Matt Ryan was, again, one of those guys through the years where you're like, I don't think there's no. We talked about him the other day. And I think he got headlined. Is he finally in decline? We weren't. I mean, we we're just saying, hey, is there, are there some warning signs here with Matt Ryan? Six turnover worthy plays. There was never a point in Ryan's game where you're just like, here's a weakness. Here's this weakness that shows up every week and it's got to be disguised. Like he's pretty good at everything. Mm-hmm. He's had bouts in his career where he's been inconsistent on the deep ball. And you mentioned, you know, a little panicky under pressure at times. But again, it's one of those things that fluctuates, right? In 2016, when he was the MVP candidate, not only was Shanahan scheming it up great, but Ryan was great under pressure. Like everything was going well. He does look like the O-line's in his head, and he's just not seeing things as clearly this season. All that said, he's still capable. He still throws beautiful timing routes at the intermediate level. He's still got Ridley to throw to. I know Julio's been Julio's a little banged up, right? So um, there's a question there, but he's had weapons to throw to, and I, all, I will always believe that this passing offense is capable of handling themselves in a shootout, even with offensive line woes. I mean, that was one of the more interesting things the last game, right, is that Ryan had one of his better games under pressure in a while. Yeah. So I think if you look on paper, the Saints defensive front should have the advantage over Atlanta's offensive line. They should be able to get a significant amount of pressure. They pressured him last time, 16 out of 38 dropbacks, you know, about where you'd expect, enough to cause problems, only usually... This season, Matt Ryan has had real issues when he's been under pressure, but that game, he didn't. That game, he actually played fine under pressure, um, scored one of his touchdowns under pressure, and things were a disaster. Like, if the Saints get the same volume of pressure this time again, I think it will be a different story just because Ryan hasn't really shown the ability to deal with it that well this season. Julio did not practice on Tuesday, but um, as we say, every time these teams match up, if he's on the field... Julio versus Marshawn Lattimore is always, you know, when they're both healthy and on the field, is always a great matchup to watch. Anyway, this game, what are you expecting here? Uh, I think it will swing back towards New Orleans. I just don't see a way that last time repeats itself, and I think fundamentally the Saints are better. Yeah, that's where I'm going to. So we'll have the, the road team winning both. Yeah. So there we go. Let's get into the Sunday slate. Marshawn Lattimore is also limited so the two guys that you just want to see one-on-one see what happens um if they show up if they show up to play all right let's get into sunday slates the biggest game of the weekend coming off the thanksgiving games will we uh drop the drop the promo code oh we got a promo code yes for pff Uh you guys have you guys have listened long enough here it is sale cyber 40 is the promo code sam tell everybody what they're getting with the cyber 40 promo code which is good what through through cyber monday it's good through cyber monday and maybe a little bit longer yeah sometimes we forget to take off the code right and i just just keep trying it yeah (laughs) so limited time sale uh cyber 40 is the code i'm not gonna spell it out you know how to spell cyber 40 and if you don't you probably don't Deserve a PFF subscription. You are not in our demographic if you don't know how to spell cyber. Cyber. Correct. Um, 40% off all annual subscriptions. So whether it's Edge or Elite, it'll get you 40% off for the duration of the time that the code is working. It's the annual subscription part that I love because everybody's got their time of year where they they decide, hey, I'm, I'm getting this PFF product. And a lot of time it's 
right before the season starts. Right. That's when most people buy. They're like, hey, I got a fantasy football draft coming up or I need I need my premium stats. I need my grades showing up every single Monday morning, Monday afternoon. But if you just sign up today, you got it for the year. You'll have it for the draft, the draft guide for training camp. For, for the grades, for your fantasy draft, all that stuff. And then you just, you know, re-up next Thanksgiving-ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But get that 40% off for, right. for the mean, year. Annual is key as opposed to seasonal. You know, PFF subscriptions work 365 days from the day you buy it. Yes. Not run through the end of the year and then you're done, right? It's not a calendar year. It's an annual thing from the moment you buy. So Cyber 40 it will run you through free agency. It'll run you through the draft. It'll run you through the majority of next season. Yeah. So there you go. Cyber 40, 40% off edge or elite over at pff.com. Now into the Sunday slate post Thanksgiving, the biggest game of the weekend, San Francisco 49ers at the Baltimore Ravens. Can anybody shut down this Ravens offense? I thought the Rams would do a better job, especially at home, the way that defense had been playing. That didn't work at all. And the Niners, are they the poster children for good defenses only dependent on the offense you're playing? Every you know, they just shut down the Packers. They've done a great job this season, but the Ravens are just playing at a whole different level right now. They are. Um, I think we'll get, (laughs) I will get a better answer to that question this week. Um, You know, this right now, this Baltimore offense looks pretty much unstoppable. Um, I'll say this too, by the way, when you do have that great elite defense and all that stuff, there is a difference when you're playing at home and on the road. Um, so even our yeah our analytics guys who are like in the defense doesn't matter, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter. It's just it's dependent on the offense. It's less dependent on the offense when you're at home. Like you can you do have an advantage if you're say New England or San Francisco right now playing at home. Traveling to Baltimore, though, that's going to be it's going to be a challenge. Yeah, I mean this. So the last time the Baltimore defense ran or the Baltimore offense ran up against a really good defense was when they played the Patriots, and it was like, oh, this is when it finally yeah. comes off the rails. The Patriots are averaging like six points against everybody else and thirty-seven against the Ravens. Right. So hey, look, it this is when you look at what the Four ers have on defense. That defense is legitimately nasty. It it is as equipped as anybody to make a mess of this offense. On the other hand, this offense is laying waste to everybody in its path right now. And you know we said before, and it's only been reinforced after watching them just bury the Rams. I don't know what the game plan is anymore to stop Lamar. Um, I don't. I don't know what the. I don't know if you spend a week looking at this system and trying to work out what you should do to slow him down. I don't know what you'd come up with because I don't think the only game plan we've seen really work in the last, like, you know, the last sort of season and a bit was that chargers game plan, in the playoffs where they went, you know, what was it? Five safeties just took all the linebackers off the field, put on speed, defended the run with speed, but you know what? And one up front. That was it. Right. That was what won the game for them. It was Bosa Ingram, uh, Justin Jones. I mean, they had guys simply winning blocks up front. That's a big part of it. But I don't think I don't think that game plan works anymore. Even if you do win up front, I don't think that game plan is going to function because Lamar is now too good as a passer. You can't just take away. So I think originally the game plan would be, all right, we get on speed. We make sure that he doesn't beat us on the ground with his with his speed and athleticism around the corner. We match speed with speed. We stop the run. 
and we force him to win as a pocket passer. I don't, I think he can now. That's your problem, right? Now you're like, okay, now we're forcing him to be a pocket passer and he's going to win. Well, so here's, here's my thought on that, right? If the, the, the term speed doesn't slump, I think speed. applies here. Speed. That a, that's not a phrase. I just made it. Okay. That speed would speed doesn't slump. Huh. All right. And you see this in the college game all the time. If a, you get a quarterback who can, who can win with his legs and he, you know, he's off a little bit as a passer and he could still add a ton of value in that given game, either as a design runner or scrambling. I think we are in more recent history. We've seen Lamar as an inaccurate quarterback. Now, has he improved? Yes. Is there still a chance that he's going to regress back a little bit? Sure. So if you're going to take your chances, I think you're still going to take your chances with him winning from the pocket. And if for some reason he has an off game, will the Ravens still have that trump card to have him run, right? Which is, that's what makes them scary. But I think I would still rather take away, like force them into um, drop back passing situations. Yeah. Right. I mean, and we're talking lesser of two evils. This isn't saying Lamar can't do it anymore because, you know, he has been fantastic throwing the ball this year. Right. That's the key is that it's the lesser of two evils. Um, I think, the, and what I'm saying essentially rests on the premise of if he continues as he's currently playing. Right. Obviously, if he regresses at anything, that's how you, that's what you attack. Different. Yeah. But if he's playing the way he currently is, I don't know that there is a game plan to defeat him. You. So we were messing around with uh, with the PFF database the other day, and we we're actually starting started by looking at offensive tackles. Right. Because an NFL player had asked me how many um, how many true dropbacks pass sets does Ronnie Stanley have, right? Because his cover or his breakdown right here. pass blocking numbers are absurd right now. What is he giving up? Like five pressures in the season? Yeah, not a lot. It's ridiculous, right? A number everyone else is like more than double, right? So an NFL tackle <laughs> was asking me, hey, how many how many dropbacks does he actually pass protect for the way the rest of us do, right? right. With this offense. So we we filtered out a bunch of things. You know, we tried to look at just straight dropbacks, um, you know, legitimate sort of five, seven step drop, take out the quick game, all this kind of stuff. Was it right? this guy? Uh yes. Yes it was. Yeah. Um so I started filtering out all that stuff and actually it doesn't paint as bad a picture of him, of him as you might expect. He's, you know, 40th, I think, in terms of number of those snaps, which is obviously way lower than a lot of people, but it's not like criminally off the scale to the point where it's massively warping his numbers. And critically, even if you limit things to just those snaps, he's like number one or number two in terms of PFF grade. And actually, look at this as a percentage. Right. There's, no, I know. He was, him. yeah. Um, him. So... Even if you limit it to that, now you can say that the frequency will influence the ones where he is left in that scenario, and that's a fair point. But bottom line is I don't think it's a massive deal here. But what's interesting is when you apply that sort of filter set and you're essentially looking at just true sort of legitimate pass blocking snaps for a tackle, you can kind of apply that to a quarterback and say, all right, in like true passing scenarios, right? Let's take out the quick game where you're massively influenced by the offense and what they scheme open. Let's take out complicated play action stuff where you're scheming stuff. Let's essentially remove Kyle Shanahan from the equation, right? In terms of what you're producing for a quarterback and look at just what happens when the quarterback is asked to drop back and play quarterback. You would assume that Lamar Jackson that's where he tumbles in terms of production. Yeah. But in terms of PFF grade, he's fifth this year on those sort of 
true in inverted commas, passing snaps. So he has become a legitimately effective, dangerous, problematic pocket passer. So the original game plan, everything else, in addition to being the most dynamic rushing threat, arguably the league has ever seen, certainly since Michael Vick. Yeah. So you can, the original game plan would be, all right, let's take away what he does on the ground. Let's stop this Baltimore running offense and take our chances with what he can do through the air. Because to be honest, it hasn't been great. We think we can win that way. Now, what he's been doing through the air has been great. And we don't like, you can't win that way anymore because he will be beat you. Yeah. Um, interestingly names that he is above in those true passing set grades, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, MVP, Russell Wilson, Tom Brady, uh, Dak Prescott, basically every quarterback you think right now is playing at an MVP level. Lamar is a higher grade in when you look at, you know, theoretically true quarterback passing snaps. Yeah, it's been impressive. And, you know, this started, like you said, looking at Ronnie Stanley. And I think there is this element, too, and we saw this when, when Johnny Manziel was coming out of Texas A&M. Everybody was mush rushing him. They were so worried about um, losing contain that Jake Matthews and Luke Jokel, his two mm-hmm. bookend tackles, looked really good because they were going up against pass rushers who weren't really even trying to get by them. And Lamar has some of that, too. So even if it's right. like Ronnie Stanley has a bunch of true pass sets and everything, how many people are still scared Correct. of Lamar breaking contain and they're not really right. getting after it? But either way, the Ravens have the number one pass blocking grade, which I do believe we can account for a lot of things. We can't account for every last factor. So that's probably influenced a little bit by the Lamar factor, actually. And the bottom line is, for the purposes of this kind of conversation, it doesn't matter. Like no. wh- whether it's whether he's not under pressure because the offensive line is so good or whether he's not under pressure because teams are effectively scared to rush him. It doesn't matter. He's not under pressure. So he's sitting there in a pocket that's not <laughs> not under pressure yeah, right. and can then therefore pick now, you apart. Now, at the same time, while we always say he's more than willing to go through progressions, he's not looking to scramble. There are certainly plays in every game where he holds the ball too long, tries to do too much, and he will take some sacks and you know various things that aren't really on the line. And that we, I mean, if you are trying to slow Lamar, can you take away the first and second read? Which is an e- like that's not a game plan. Mm-hmm. That's just being good again. Again, yeah. can you cover really, really well so he has nobody to throw to? Yes. And if you could do that, he'll hold it and maybe take a sack if you play contain properly. If you don't play contain properly, then nice job covering those first two reads. But he just ran for twenty. That's part of the issue. I will also say that there are trends within his sort of game plan or within his play in these things that you can at least focus on certain areas. So he has one of the lowest percentages of throws past the sticks in those scenarios. Yeah. So that right there is telling you at the very minimum, let's crowd the underneath. Oh, short game has been. Yeah. Right. I would still rather him hit, hit those passes over the top. And, you know, if it's Marquise Brown, a little scarier, but beyond that, you know, that's what, Boykin again, and tight ends, like they don't have the best deep threats in the world. That's what makes this offense so scary, right? Is that the, is that everything is effectively, everything you want to focus on exposes something else that isn't just a problem, but is, is an immediate danger to score seven. So, yeah. right. Either you forget about, either you don't focus on his rushing threat, in which case he takes off in the pocket breaks five tackles, scrambles for 70 yards and scores, right? Bad. Okay, let's take away the running threat. Now he's capable of carving you up as a passer. Okay, fine. 
He typically focuses on the short game. Let's take that away. Crap, Marquise Brown just went 60 for a touchdown. Like, this offense is just carving people to ribbons. I don't know that there is a good game plan to slow them down anymore. To go back to the the Ravens coaching as well, too. I mean, our analytics guy's raving about how well Harbaugh has um, made the right decision, gone for it on fourth down. We saw it the other night in the Rams game. It's just like fourth and four, going for it. Fourth and eight, going for it. Whatever it right. is, right? We're just going to keep on the uh, on the defense, right? Keep the pressure on. But they are winning on the margins in areas like that, in areas like just putting Marquise Brown in the slot yeah. to create vertical threats by passing to tight ends a little bit more, by running a lot of play action. They're winning on the margins and putting the whole team in, su- in successful It's positions. such a huge factor, right? Because for most teams, you only have to concern yourself with getting to fourth down. It's like, whew, we yeah. survived third down. Yeah, stop now, celebrating right, third down stops. Right, we survived third down. They're going to punt the ball away. We're good, right? Yeah. We stopped them this drive. With the Ravens, it's like we survived third down but they're going to go for it. So we got to do it again. Yeah. Like you have to actually survive four downs against this offense, which is harder to do because it's one of the best offenses in the NFL. Now, if we accept, so there's no game plan to beat this team, but we are going up against one of the best defenses in the NFL. Now, if the 49ers are going to slow them down, I think it's not going to be because they have a magic blueprint to slow them down. I think it's because they have one of the best defenses in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, so so here's the thing. By the way, a year ago at this time, we were talking about the Ravens game plan, especially when they go up against the Kansas City Chiefs. Mm-hmm. Well, they can run the ball, they can sit on it, they can have that 10-minute 10, 10 drive, and they can keep the ball away from you. Like, that was their game plan and strategy yeah. until we realized just how explosive they could be. Uh-huh. Now, do the Niners have to play that keep-away style I mean, I think against the Ravens? Yeah, I think that's... That's always part of any... So we said this all last year about the Chiefs, right? Anytime you're playing an offense that is just a a wrecking machine, part of your game plan to beat them, I think, has to be to keep the ball away from them. Yeah. Because, one... The less they have the ball, the more the less damage they can do. But two, I think it genuinely frustrates those teams when they're sitting on the sideline, and that causes mistakes. And in, in when you're playing those kind of games, particularly if it's a shootout, just causing enough mistakes to steal a to steal a possession somewhere is huge. But this 49ers defense overall, right? Second overall in terms of PFF grade as a unit, second overall in coverage. Uh, grade behind only the Patriots, Sec, uh, third overall in pass rush grade. Um, so oh, yeah. they're good in all the areas that you need to be good at. And by the way, between the sort of coverage and the pass rush, if a guy, if Fred Warner has a game like he had last week, where he's just everywhere, nine defensive stops. Warner and Jimmy Ward. Huge. Jimmy Ward was flying downhill too. So if you mm-hmm. t- you talk about the the short passing game, which has been extremely efficient for the Ravens. When when Seattle's defense was at their best, those two are vital. Yes, and when Seattle's team. defense was at their best, the scheme gives up completions, but then the yards after the catch are, are you know it's nothing. Mm-hmm. It's Cam Chancellor flying down. It's Bobby Wagner flying to the ball. KJ Wright. If the Niners continue to play that style, and Jimmy Ward becomes a key player working downhill in the box, and they can limit yards after the catch, make the so then you've got the extra man in the box to maybe defend the run, but you also kind of make the Ravens need to take a few more shots over the top. And, you know, Sherman's still difficult to throw the ball down the field on. Uh, Kilo Weatherspoon. I mean, they, you know, I think that's part of the game plan there for the for the Niners. They have six players with 
double digit total pressures. But I think critically, so D Ford has been banged up. He's missed some time. D Ford has 25. If you assume that D Ford played a representative amount of snaps, basically if he wasn't hurt, they would have four guys with more than 30 total pressures. So that's a pretty high figure so far this season and essentially illustrates that they can get pressure consistently just with their front four which is yep. huge, right? The 49ers for years have had those interior guys and they've all been able to get pressure. They've had no edge rush. Now they've got edge rush and they've got it on both sides. So if they can get after Lamar consistently, that's a big part of it. If they can do it without losing contain, that's another big part of it. Simply getting pressure will help that back end. The coverage has been fantastic. I mean, I just think top to bottom, this is one of the most fascinating matchups of the week. It's going to be great. I really think, I think Baltimore ultimately gets the better of the Niners defense. If it was in San Francisco, that would be really a strength against strength. I, I just think that the road, you know, going on the road is hard. It tra- there's a, there's a phrase that defense travels. I don't think it does. Okay. I, I mean, yeah, I, I agree with you that I don't know that there's anybody that can stop this. Ravens offense the way it's playing right now. The problem is so that then shifts focus to the other side, right? So if Baltimore is going to put up a ton of points. Now you're asking the 49ers to match and I don't think they can. Um, the, the other part of all this is that Baltimore's defense is suddenly cooking on gas. They've been fantastic. Marcus right. Peters is great. I mean, they, now that might be less sustainable than the offense. But yeah. the fact that it's happening is why they're blowing teams out of the water instead of just yeah. winning. But uh, for the 13th week in a row, I'm going to say, look, they built it back to front. Yeah. And the back seven, the coverage unit is helping win. I mean, I will say shut teams that down. they have players that gamble more than a lot of teams. And Kyle Shanahan schemes things up to put you in positions you're not supposed to be in. So Marcus Peters had another pick this week where he, an interception on a play he wasn't supposed to be there on, which is like his specialty. Right. Um, You know, he was supposed to essentially be dropping on the sideline, splitting two zones, and instead just went, not to hell with that. I can see the one you're going to. I'm just heading to this. Yeah. So it was one of those plays where the quarterback, you know, everyone's going to be like, that's a terrible throw by Goff. Like, honestly, Peters just has no business making that play. He shouldn't be there. Um, that should be part of the game plan, knowing that Marcus Peters is on this side this of the field. He I'm could saying. be in a place where he's not. Well, A, he could be in a place where he's not, but also... Oh, but you could we can manipulate yeah. him, right? Yep. And I think the same thing is true for Earl Thomas. Earl Thomas has a propensity to gamble a little bit, yep. um, or at least commit very early to a read. So uh, I think the way Kyle Shanahan shifts that offense around with play action, with fakes, with all this kind of stuff. I mean, we saw what he did last week in terms of busting George Kittle wide open over the middle of the field. He can shift those players around a bit. Now he's going to need to do it a lot because they may have to win a shootout, but that could be a big, a couple of big plays here. I don't have the exact history of Kyle Shanahan against the quote unquote cover three teams, but in 2016, when they went on that run, the Falcons, Matt Ryan's MVP season, Mm -hmm. they torched the Seahawks that year. And it wasn't just like the Seahawks were already regressing a little bit defensively, but this was like they were scheming it up Mm -hmm. against that system extremely well. So that makes, um, you know, Shanahan, when he goes up, not that the Ravens are this pure cover three system, but like he's had these games where he schemed it up against really good defenses and um, made them look bad. So, man, it's going to be a good matchup. I'm going Baltimore at home. Same. All right, let's go. Maybe not spend as much time on certain games like Jets at Bengals. Yeah, no, I think so. The Ginger Bowl. Dalton's back. Dalton's back. Dalton's it was always going to be a Ginger Bowl. 
Um, the, 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 with the, Finley. The hometown Bengals are going to take it upon themselves to try and get their way out of the number one overall pick because that's what we do here. They want Andy back there. Well, yeah. I'm going to defer to you know my wife's take on this whole thing. Kelly, okay. she said, look, you can't, you can't build a losing culture, right? Yeah, you keep saying that. I you don't... can't build a losing culture. You're already like, it's not like they were winning with Dalton back there. It's so tough. I mean, look, the, the human element of this thing, when you're Zach Taylor and you roll in to the locker room and you're like, all right, guys, we're trotting Ryan Finley out there. Like uh-huh. he is clearly not the best quarterback on the team right now. Right. Okay. The one that was the best also lost all of his games. Fine. But it's just. So what part of the winning culture is Andy bringing to the table? A shot to win. He's got a better shot to win. Right. But right now he's winless. He's got a better shot to win than Finley. Like they could have won that game against. If Dalton was in last week against the Steelers, the Bengals had a shot to win. Yeah. A lot, a lot better shot to win. It is so tough. I have no problem with the Ryan Finley experiment. I have zero problem with it. Put him out there. See if there's glimmers of hope or whatever it is. But at some point you see no glimmers of hope and it's like, all right, we, I cannot look my players in the face and say, go follow our second best quarterback. The NFL to me is so different year to year that I just don't think it matters. Like, uh, sure. It, the, it also probably doesn't matter, but we need something to talk about. It might impact this year, right? If you actively go out there and say, yeah, you know what? <laughs> we're 0-10. We're probably not looking for this year. We're looking a bit beyond. So we're going to trot out Ryan Finley, and he looks terrible. So you're just going to have to suck it up and play a few games. But the bright side is we'll get... The number one overall pick, we'll get our, we'll get Joe Burrow. We'll be able to revolutionize the franchise next year. And if any of you guys are still around, it'll be beautiful, right? If you're not, thanks for trying. Bye-bye now. I could also do that too. I don't think that, I don't think that essentially saying we're on 10, we're going to tank the rest of the year because what is in it for us to win would impact next year. If you achieve what you're trying to achieve, which is snagging a franchise quarterback, which turns things around. I just don't think that there's any kind of lingering effect for of what six games of not trying your hardest to win. And by that, it's not even like it's not even like a deliberate. I'm not even saying go out there and try to lose the game. Right. I'm just saying we put a guy out there that doesn't give us the best chance to win because at the very minimum, we want to see if he has any long-term future. And if the answer to that is no, fine. We haven't lost anything. In fact, we've moved a step towards the better long-term future, which is securing the best player in the draft or the best player in the draft that matters at a position we need. Yeah. So I'm not buying the idea that it builds a losing, it fosters a losing culture beyond 2019 and honestly, a losing culture is what you want for 2019 because the only thing that matters anymore is securing the number one overall pick. Yeah, I don't know if the number one overall pick even means that much. Just have a bunch of picks. Well, yeah, but it matters if there's one legit quarterback and yeah, you I need mean, him. You'd like to have your choice. Yeah. You've seen some of Burrow's numbers? Mm, I've seen some of them. He's completing 78 plus percent of his passes. Mm-hmm. 78 that's insane. Yeah, I mean, Renner and had... not a dink and dunk. Right, Renner put out some stats a while ago that was like, I think it was completion percentage on a certain... 10 plus yards. Yeah, he's, depth. And he's like 10% higher than anybody we've ever seen. Yeah. Including Baker. Right. You know, like 68% on 10 plus yard throws. Yeah. His pure accuracy percentage, our ball location stuff, he's at 76. Yeah. We've seen Brady and Breeze 
like right up around 70 in their best NFL seasons in this number. Mm-hmm. Burrow's at 76. Yeah. And we've seen a couple college guys in like the high 60s, all dink and dunk type of mm-hmm. offenses. It's just insane. Yeah. So that's why I'm saying you might want to snag that number one overall pick. All right. So there you go. How about Jamal Adams, the best pass rusher on the Jets going up against this Bengals offensive line? Yes. There's your matchup. It really is. So watch there. Um, Sam Donald's playing much better football in recent weeks. I think it's, uh, again, in this in this hot take culture, like I said, um, you want to overreact to every single game. Now he's better. Now, like, let's I want to see him string together a stretch here at the end of the season where he doesn't have that big drop off. That would be nice. Then we can ride all those kind of narratives about how Sam Darnold is a second, that, second half, half of the year player. Yeah, second half of the year quarterback. Right. That'll be the uh, sample size stuff. Uh, very important. Yes. To just uh, push that stuff. I'm taking the Jets. Uh, same. By the way, so Jamal Adams, not only does he lead the team in sacks, but he's like eight pressures or was it eight or nine or 11 or something. He's, he's a, a limited number of pressures away from leading the team in pressures as well. On only like 68, I think, pass rushes. rushes. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Yeah, he's a fun player to watch. He's genuinely their best pass rusher. If they lined him up as an outside linebacker edge rusher every single play, they would be markedly better off. What if a defense? It's it's hard enough to find a Jamal Adams or a Derwin James, but what if a defense could somehow secure two guys just like that? So here's the thing, right? I think genuinely teams should start thinking about this as a strategy. Um, Jamal Adams is what is he from a height weight standpoint six foot 213 pounds right shaquem griffin shaquem griffin is six foot 200 227 no no with his little pete carroll came out on the radio and said he's playing at 215 right now well yeah because he well yeah because 227 was yeah was (laughs) an attempt to put on weight and essentially he just got he just developed the pot belly um so he is playing at 215, right? He is essentially playing outside linebacker edge rusher at exactly the same size as Jamal Adams is. Yeah. Those two guys are both effective right now. I So I went through all of Shaquem Griffin's pass rushes. What's interesting, I, it's, it's we're still crazy small sample sizes, right? So it's difficult mm-hmm. to draw actual conclusions from this. But he is drawing double teams at a pretty crazy rate right now. Um, I Ben ran the numbers for me. I can't remember what the exact figure was. But he is drawing double teams. And by that, I mean typically chip blocks at this point. Drawing chip blocks at a rate significantly higher than most players. Um, And I don't know if that's a conscious thing that teams are like, well, this guy has speed and speed alone. So we're just going to make sure he doesn't run right through hell around our offensive tackle. So we'll throw a chip at him. That'll help. Right. Or if it's just a freak of alignment over, you know. 30 rushes or whatever it is so far entirely possible but when you when you put on his tape he is able to beat guys still he's got speed he's able to win with quickness he's got a bit of power to him as well one of his final rushes this past week he sort of got an inside move got a shoulder in front and just drove his way through the gap now there's definitely plays where the tackle gets locked onto him and he just gets buried like mike mcglinchy wrecked him a couple of times where he got a grip and it was just game over. But my point is... But we're also of the minds that how badly you lose doesn't matter. That exactly, much, right? right? So my point essentially is these guys, these pure speed rushers in obvious passing situations, which happen more now than they ever used to, um, 
are legitimately dangerous edge rushers. And you should probably think about deploying a couple of them because it like I think these guys cause more problems for offensive tackles than just a worse 260 pound edge rusher. You know, like if you don't have a top tier pass rusher, I think these guys cause more problems than just a worse version of a top tier pass rusher. So my point is use them, throw them out there. If you have a guy that you think is physically capable of doing that, line them up. What what have you got to lose? Yeah. I mean, run game stuff, probably. Yeah, That's but it. it's like obvious passing downs. That's what I'm saying, right? It's, the, like Shaquem Griffin has played almost every single snap has been an obvious pass rushing situation, and he hasn't had to defend the run. So who cares? Oh, I'd be off. I mean... Absolutely. Take so it. I'm just saying it, you should start experimenting with crazy light, crazy fast edge rushers because most offense tackles are hulking, lumbering, you know, lumps. Yeah. They're not going to deal with that speed. So we're taking the Jets. Yeah. All right. Tennessee Titans at the Indianapolis Colts. Yet another Titans game. That is just impossible. To- uh, have the t- Titans settled in as uh, consistent now, though, with Ryan Tannehill at the helm? I would say probably not because they're the Titans. Um, it's worth noting, though, that Ryan Tannehill is playing the best football of his career since like year two. Yeah. Um, and it's worth noting that in year two, we were very optimistic about what he could be. You know, this idea of constant linear progression, the Josh Allen theory, as it currently is, um, that was Tannehill back in 2013. And then obviously the wheels fell right the hell off and Ryan Tannehill went in the tank, as did Miami. And I was like, well, this guy's useless. He can outback up Marcus Mariota. Tannehill always, the thing that was always missing with Tannehill, like if you, we always say, if you just watch this guy's best throws, but even like throw for throw, Tannehill's like short area accuracy was nice. Intermediate stuff was beautiful. He had an inconsistent deep ball, but it was more like the situational stuff. Like the same way you expect a Brady or Russell Wilson or whoever breeze to like lead the team back in the fourth quarter or make the key throw on third down or make a tight red zone throw when they need it. Tannehill was never good in the red zone. He was never good fourth quarter comebacks. Like he was never good at the stuff that just the best quarterbacks I don't even know if the best quarterbacks elevate the game. They're just, they're better. So they're better at all those situations as well. Tannehill always seemed to be lacking in that area, Mm -hmm. but overall throw for throw was like pretty reasonable. I would say it does look a little cleaner in a lot of those situations right now, like late game against the chiefs. He's making big plays and, you know, uh, rushing, picking up uh, rushing for uh, first downs or touchdowns with his legs when needed running through defenders when needed. I mean, he is doing, uh, a really nice job in some of the situational stuff, as well as just being a very good intermediate thrower and all that stuff. And don't forget, like I said, we're a year removed from him being pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. Statistically yeah. was not, but he had all of his touchdowns on screens in Miami miracle. And it wasn't just last he year. Like he fumble heading, issues, pocket presence, terror, like everything was bad. Last he'd year. been heading that way for a while. Like things were getting worse and worse. Um, now he was injured as well, so that's part of it. But he'd yeah. been he'd been heading in the wrong direction and getting to the point where he was pretty bad for a while. So it's definitely a bounce back and arguably, you know, not one that you expect to continue. It's an anomaly potentially, or it's him getting back to where he could have been if Miami hadn't been such a disaster. I think I want to take Tennessee. I took Indy. The to switch. AJ Brown has a top ten yard per route run figure in the entire NFL. He's been fantastic. Um, are you at all sad that he is what Corey Davis was supposed to be? Um, yeah, maybe. Mm. 
I don't think Corey, no, because AJ Brown is just dynamic after the catch too. I wasn't expecting that from Corey. I was expecting, I was expecting Corey Davis not to be Michael Thomas, but to be more that style of receiver, a guy that's just consistently open all the time, short and intermediate level. AJ Brown has this dynamic after the catch ability. Um, can win a little bit more consistently at all levels. I mean, it's been a nice players addition. that AJ Brown has a higher yard per route run figure than so far. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Adam Thielen, Cortland Sutton, Tyler Lockett, uh, Terry McLaurin, anybody on the Browns, DeAndre Hopkins. Um, like he has been incredibly productive when they've had him on the field and they appear to be starting to realize that. Like oh, yeah. He's featuring more now than he has in the past. And yeah, he looks genuinely dangerous. He looks like a significant threat. So it's another game where Jacoby Brissett's going up against a quarterback that we have graded better than him. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, I really just think the Colts offense, again, has done a nice job of, you know, creating offense. But at some point, we got to see more consistency from Brissett. And it just puts a lot of pressure on the Colts and the rest of their roster to pick things up, but they're very evenly matched teams, right? Just two teams solid across the board, pretty good quarterback play, you know, not, not great quarterback play unless you have the high end of Tannehill from the last few weeks. So just very, very close across the board here. Yeah. So this is an interesting one because again, it's like a, it's a replay of a game that's already taken place. But the right. last time it took place was week two and Marcus Mariota was the quarterback. Yeah. So this Titans team is different than the one we saw the last time. Um, and it was a close game. The Colts escaped. Yes. Right. Yeah. It, it was, was more of an escape. That was when the Titans had scored 40 against the Browns and they come back and lose, what, 1917? Mm-hmm. And, and, and that, you know, Titans had plenty of chances yeah. to win and felt like the Colts escaped. Right. Game with a win. So it, it was in Tennessee, though, as opposed to this it was in Indy, right? Um, so, uh, yeah, it's an interesting matchup. Again, like all Tennessee games, it's impossible to call. Um, yeah. And doubly so because it's within the division. Within the division. All right. That being said, I went with the Colts. Yeah, I've gone with the Colts, but I think by press time, so to by speak. press time. It might become Tennessee. I'm ready to talk. Tannehill in a dome. He's going to tear it up. Hmm. Okay. All right. He didn't throw the ball that well last year at Indy in the Dome. Anyway, quick break to tell you about our friends over at Western and Southern. It doesn't matter if it's football or financial wellness. The right questions will always give you the best chance for a win. Western and Southern has partnered with us here at PFF to give you a chance for an up-close and personal look at the X's and O's that will lead to both financial and football success. If you're looking for insight on your financial future, or if you need an inside the huddle tip, head to westernsouthern.com slash askchris. westernsouthern.com slash ask-chris, C-R-I-S, to ask Western and Southern and PFF your most pressing questions. You could even win tickets to the big game. All you have to do is ask Chris a question, and you can win tickets. Mm, Yeah. His office is right upstairs. I can go ask him a question, and then I'm like in the... I don't think that qualifies. I think it's got to be through the system. You got to go to that link. So I'm going to do it right now. WesternSouthern.com slash ask dash Chris. Chris, can I have tickets? That's to- Chris, C-R-I-S, because there are people that don't know how to spell his name. There's many Chris Collinsworth folks that yes. don't spell his name. Uh-huh. right? Including people like trying to do business with him, which always strikes me as kind of funny. Think you know at the very minimum if you're trying to get a deal sure. done. Let's let's learn how to spell his name. Yeah, you'd want to get that right. I would. Um, All right, let's go. Cleveland Browns at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Another division rematch. Feisty, the Miles Garrett revenge bowl. Nothing's going to happen, right? Now with Duck. Now with added Duck. 
they're going to be cracking down on it. The Steelers are starting a guy called Duck. I don't trust Duck. At quarterback. I he don't had, trust Duck either. He had but, one nice throw. Which is one more than Mason Rudolph had. Yeah. He had one nice throw for the long touchdown, which you know, essentially won them the game. So here's the thing, right? I, somebody was asking during the week, like, who's worse, Ryan Finley or uh, Mason Rudolph? I was like, well, so they've both been playing pretty terribly, but one guy has zero shot to achieve anything in the offense he's in, and the other guy has one of the best situations in the NFL in terms of, you know, good offensive line, decent receiving weapons. Um, so, you know, that, that I think sways what you think. So the Steelers have benched Mason Rudolph. Duck comes in. Duck is probably not very good at all. But Duck has one of the better situations any quarterback has to work with. Kind of like the Jacoby Brissett thing in Indy, right? He's got a really good defense. He's got a good offensive line. He's got some weapons to work with. Like, Duck is stepping in. The weapons are okay. I wouldn't say it's one of the best. but I don't know. I'm not saying it's one of the best, but they're good, right? Yeah. The situation is one of the best, of which the receivers Overall, yeah. being decent are a part of it. So my point generally is that I think Duck has an awful lot to work with. But the guys, how are we... How are we honestly calling a guy duck unironically? How it's Devlin, right? That's silly. Yeah, but the broadcast and everybody everybody calls him duck. I call him Devlin. You should, because duck is ridiculous. Um definitely want to see that trench battle. Uh the the pass rush with Watt and Dupree and what the Steelers do up front. Want to see if Baker can keep uh he's played much better in recent weeks, if he can keep some of that rhythm. He you know, he flashed against the Steelers in the Thursday night game and then was more inconsistent. Like, let's put together a full game mm. and see what that looks like. Um but yeah, the Browns we mentioned the other day could end the season at nine and seven. And for them to do that, they have to win this game. Yeah, I mean, this was one of the most impressive Browns performances, right? Now, okay, it didn't last the whole game. Um, but early in this game Baker looked in rhythm again. This was the the start of the positive signs. Yeah. Baker looked really good early in this game. They got out to a lead and they were able to strangle it. Um, outside of Akello Witherspoon, Denzel Ward has the lowest completion percentage allowed this season. 41% of targets. That's pretty good. Isn't it? Yeah. And he looked like he had some blips early in the season. but Yeah. And again, so he's another one of those guys. Zero interceptions. So box score people are like, yeah, not playing well. Seven pass breakups. Just 41% of passes thrown his way to be caught he's allowed what 256 yards this season um so yeah i think he's playing pretty well all right where are you going with this one uh browns i'm taking the browns as well yes browns man i'm just not buying into the steelers no haven't been all year i do think they Their have defense a, is playing really well i do think they have a better chance to win with duck than uh than rudolph well the way rudolph played the last two weeks. Yeah, certainly. Philadelphia Eagles at the Miami Miami Dolphins. Mm. This feels like a game that doesn't take a huge amount of analysis. <sighs> it does not. We're going to go quicker on this one. So the Eagles have their beat up wide receiver core. Their Wentz has been rough. The receiver, everything's been rough. The passing game there rough. just been bad. Here's the thing, right? The Eagles still have one of the best pass rushes in the NFL, and Miami has one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL. That alone means that the Eagles cannot lose this game. The end. Case closed. Next. Did we make our Brandon Graham bet? No, we didn't. I gave you multiple opportunities to do it, and you still wouldn't do it. He's at eight sacks, and he's going to play the golf. He's got four. Right. Yeah, you, you really screwed up. We're both taking the Eagles. Yeah. Green Bay Packers at the New York Giants. Can the Packers get back on track? Yes, because I am officially done with Daniel Jones after he screwed me against the Bears last week. 
So we're both taking the Packers. I mean, the Packers are coming off two out of their last three games, right, against the Chargers and the 49ers, where it was just the offense was as bad as it gets, mm-hmm. especially with Rodgers at the helm. But I think they have a chance with the Giants on the schedule, the Redskins on the schedule to kind of change the narrative over these next few weeks heading into the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, they got annihilated by the 49ers defense. The Giants defense is not that. Um, so I think they've got a real chance to get back on track. Uh, you know, Rogers, look, Rogers had the worst game. Was What was the number you pulled out? It was his worst game ever? Worst game ever. 37.9 grade, I believe. His average depth of completion was less than a yard. Yeah, it was negative. I'm sorry, was negative yards. It was behind the line of scrimmage. Behind the line of scrimmage. He had 20 completions for like minus 0.1 per completion. Yeah. Now, granted, he had a drop beyond the line of scrimmage. He had that pass that was almost hauled in in the back of the end zone by mm-hmm. Valdez Candel. I mean, there's there's other factors here, but I think that sums things up. Yes. Um, that was bad. So the Packers got to figure out that rhythm offensively, uh, you know, and then the, the Daniel Jones coaster, you know, he might make some big plays. He might turn the ball over. If you make some big plays, then we've got one, you know, we might have a shootout situation going here. Yeah. Jandre, so Jandre Baker had his best game last week. He did. actually didn't bust coverages and made some tackles. So we talked about the 49ers having, you know, the second best overall defensive grade, the second best overall coverage grade. The giants are 29th in coverage grade. Um, yeah. So as much as, the Aaron Rodgers to insert Green Bay receiver has been connection has been an issue this year. It should be dramatically easier against the Giants. We're both taking the Packers mm-hmm. in this one. Washington Redskins at the Carolina Panthers. I just want to see Luke Keekley at the line of scrimmage with the rookie Dwayne Haskins mm. across the line. So I am interested to see last week there was came out and it was like, well, my hand or and or wrists was banged up. That's why I couldn't get the ball near Terry McLaurin. Um, what was interesting is that he did take some shots last week in a way we haven't necessarily seen before. Now, I'm still not entirely convinced he'll do that if the coverage is tighter because one characteristic of the shots he was taking is that, frankly, not to have taken those shots would have been, you know, it would have been an offense that uh, was worthy of benching. If we just stepped into like a hurricane, what is happening? No, no, we're in a bomb shelter. I think we're safe um, if there is something going on out there. Okay. So, you know, if he, if he hadn't taken the shots that he'd taken last week, it would have been worth benching him because of it. Like, they were so wide open that if you hadn't thrown the ball at that point, you would have been like, what the hell are you doing? Sit down. We're putting Keenum out there. So there's only a limited degree to which you can credit him for that is what I'm saying, particularly sure. as he didn't complete them. But the fact that he was taking them was positive. And... I, so I'm curious to see if that continues this week because McLaren is a superstar. He is honestly one of the best wide receivers in the NFL already, and he will be. He'll have he'll have some opportunities if Haskins is willing to attack it, and if you can actually get the ball to him. Yeah, we talked about the other day. I mean, it was Luke Keekley played well. Everybody else got torched against that mm-hmm. that Saints defense uh, offense. So just want to watch Luke, and you know more of the the Kyle Allen. Let's figure out what he is. He'll have some opportunities against a not as good. Still on Will Greer watch? I guess. I, I think they're. I think it's a Kyle Allen show the rest of the year. We're both taking Carolina yeah. in this one. And a quick break to tell you about our favorite friends. Support for PFF NFL podcast comes from Manscaped. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
the best in men's below the belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels, as you yes, know. Yes, they do. Sam, jingle balls to the walls, fella, <laughs> fellas, listen up. It's actually better if I awkwardly read it. Can I be a little bit disappointed awesome. that there is no Thanksgiving themed? Um, Let's make our own balls pun. Let's make our own. Yeah. What do you got? Turkeys? Turkeys have got to be in there somewhere. Trim your giblets with. Uh, giblets. They're giblets, surely. Giblets. G- giblets. I'm GIF. pretty sure it's giblets. GIF. GIF. No, it, it is GIF because you can just change the. But it, I'm pretty sure it's giblets. Just uh, <laughs> either way, keep Manscaped. I'm not sure you can make a giblets pun when it comes to uh, below the belt grooming. Manscaped is going to give you 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF over at manscaped.com. So what do you get over at manscaped.com? You get the revolutionary lawnmower 2.0. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You always pose the question, what? What went wrong with 1.0? I, or is I, it just, is it like a video game? Like you just make it a little bit better every single year. That's the thing. It's all iterative, right? Madden, there was nothing wrong with Madden 19. We just, we upgraded. Yeah, you get to the year, next one. We got a year ahead. We, we made some changes, some so, improvements. So the Lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary advanced skin safe technology. So this trimmer won't nick or snag your giblets. Your giblets. It's also waterproof, <laughs> so you can use it in the shower. And it all comes inside the perfect package. 2.0, the perfect gift for this holiday season, whether you're celebrating Thanksgiving or Christmas or Hanukkah or any other holiday, it is the perfect gift because you've got the crop preserver and all sorts of other goodies. Ball deodorant. Yeah. Everybody wants to gift the ball deodorant this Christmas. Yeah. I mean, we go to the, we go to the Y every day. It smells pretty bad in there. It does. Yeah. It does. Particularly as they stop. Turning we should, on the showers. We should buy some Manscaped for uh, all of our friends at the gym yeah. in the locker room. This is, it's genuinely, I think, a good Christmas gift, right? Not because, you know, nothing says Christmas like shaving your nuts, but because the, the sort of packaging and the whole thing that it comes in, you know, with the, the little newspaper thing with comedy stories yeah. and that kind of stuff. Like, it's genuinely good. So it's like a real product, but it's also a good spoof gift as well. Right. Like well, not just spoof, but entertaining. Right? Entertaining, right? It's you not get, a spoof because yeah, it's real. You get you get this sort of newspaper thing that has these pretty hysterical stories about it in it. Yeah. Um, it comes in, you know, really nice packaging. The, like, the wash bag that it comes in is legitimately really nice. How many... How many of these do you think are going to show up in the office Secret Santa? A lot. A lot. Right. Everybody's getting everybody's getting ball deodorant for Secret Santa. So if you guys are doing Secret Santa and you want a great gift, Manscaped.com, you get 20% off plus free shipping. Promo code is PFF over at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off free shipping. PFF's the promo code. Manscaped.com. Clean your nuts and make Santa proud this year. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. what they tell us. They do. They do. Um, Look, honestly, the bottom line is your giblets deserve it. Or giblets. No, not giblets. Your balls will thank you. <laughs> Manscapes.com. Uh, Speaking of balls, Bucks at Jags. That's not a trend. Speaking of balls. That has nothing to do with anything. No, it doesn't. Oh, the Bucks Did the you Jags. see, by the way, complete random aside, did you see the price of an XFL football? No. How much do you think they're selling them for? Like 100 bucks? On XFL.com. 125. 125 bucks for, for a, a football. What's that made of? Uh, leather, the same as any other football. Apparently, though, instead of, you know, like a regular football has the dimples, the, the whatever you call those things, yeah. the, the graining. So the XFL ones, the graining is X-shaped. They're all like little X's. 
Well, that's what makes them special. Yeah, well, apparently I read a whole thing about it. They like developed this football. Where like, is this a bad sign for their business plan that they're like, oh, we got to make one hundred twenty-five bucks off these footballs to break even? <laughs> I, I mean, if the thing costs one hundred, if like, what's to- a ticket to a game going to be? Five <laughs> hundred. <laughs> well, I, I mean. One hundred twenty-five feels feels steep. Let's do they have like a way. replica football? Will they have like a, an XFL replica Nerf so, football? I don't or something? know. So that's the thing, right? Like We're tight this on is, time. Why'd you bring this up? Uh, this is presumably the genuine one, but you can buy like like a genuine sort of match style rugby ball is like ninety euro, right? But you can buy a replica one for like twenty. Yeah, so there's got to be a replica. Yeah, there's got to be like a replica. Just just give me the one that looks like an XFL ball, but it's just a crap piece of plastic. We're gonna get one for the office. Not at $125 or not. Yeah, no, Neil would never sign off on that. That's not a good expense. Um, stay tuned, though, for the XFL. We might uh, be involved in mm-hmm. coverage. Mm-hmm. We might we might cover it. Of course, we're going to cover it. We cover everything. We covered the AAF. You better believe we're we diving did. in the wall XFL. To wall. So if you're looking for wall-to-wall XFL coverage in February, we'll have it for you. Uh-huh. Bucks at the Jags. Okay. Can we get... So Foles has been a little bit more on the conservative end, mm-hmm. right? Throwing the short stuff. He's got to go full Jameis to compete with Jameis in this game. We need super, super bowl foals against future MVP Jameis in this one. So Jameis being cesium, foals has got to go full Frankium in order to to overcome. I I don't have my table here. periodic table. I don't. I don't have the periodic table. We should uh, we should get a slide and put it up uh, on Parker behind us. Yeah, we, periodic table of elements. We could rename it with, with, the uh, with the quarterbacks. Yeah, we'll just draw them in. And yeah, yeah, we, James, we'll do that. That's nice. We'll I like that. that. That's a good plan. Let's do that. So, yeah, Jameis is cesium. Foles is going to have to go full Frankium in order to uh, contend. Nobody has any idea what you're talking about. People do. People are smart. Plus, people have listened to the podcast and heard us talking. Uh, we about were season. questioning whether our people could even spell spy, uh, spell cyber. I wasn't questioning. I was simply saying if they couldn't, maybe this. Like if you them. can't, just like stop listening or whatever. Probably. Yeah, appreciate all you listeners. Though we're breaking records this year, so that's been that's been great. So stick with us. Um, anything else in particular you're looking for here? Jamel Dean's been playing outstanding football. Yeah, really has cornerback from the box, giving up almost nothing the last two weeks after getting torched against the Seahawks a few weeks ago. And I think more importantly, um, making a ton of pass breakups, right? Oh, yeah. Which means, so I think simply the volume of those that he's been able to have speaks to how tight the coverage has been. Right? Right. You don't get that many pass breakups unless you have been glued tight to a receiver pretty consistently. So that's really encouraging. The other thing is that this game is probably going to have to be in Nick Foles' hands a lot because the Bucks have one of the best run defenses in the NFL. The Jags are unlike, unlikely to be able to pound Lenny up the middle. Not that they'll stop trying, but at some point, like Nick Foles is going to have to win this game if they're going to win it. In fact, the more I talk this out, the more I'm sad that I took the Jags. In fact, let's change that right now. Jamel Dean with three pass breakups, passer rating of 45.6 over the last two weeks. And his teammate, Carlton Davis, another big bodied corner from Auburn, four pass breakups over the last two weeks. So that's what you're looking for if you're uh, Tampa Bay. They have one of the weirdest like collection of bodied body types for cornerbacks in the NFL. Yeah, I really wish Hargraves was involved. Yeah, but he's now gone. Sorry, that was just last week for Dean. Just my filter was off. In his last two games, five pass breakups and an interception. He's given up four catches for 32 yards on 14 targets. Jamel Dean. Hmm. So, just something to keep an eye on in that secondary. Bucks are showing, I don't know, man. They're showing just like, they're like a lesser version of the Titans. Or, you know, they sh- 
they were intriguing earlier in the year and they've just been been up and down so you've changed your pick to the box yeah we got an update on and i'm uh, going with the checks on cesium watch leads the nfl and turnover worthy plays he's crawling his way back up the uh the big time throw man having 20 list. interceptions in today's nfl is difficult it is as we head into week 13 <laughs> The uh, if you limit like Aaron Rodgers has twenty interceptions in like the last four years. <laughs> Is it even? That's probably longer, right? Maybe not. Not that that's a great thing, you, right? You know, but, um, if you limit it to just the sort of quarterbacking quarterback plays, the way we did with Lamar earlier, Jameis Winston still leads the NFL in turn of worthy plays. So he is at least tied now with Philip Rivers and Daniel Jones is one behind him. So there you go. They are the same guy. Highly volatile. Los Angeles Rams at the Arizona Cardinals. A lot of division matchups here this week. What are we looking for in this one? Ah, this is interesting because the Rams look like hot garbage last week. Um, they're in a ma- they're in a in trouble. Like they're a yeah. mess right now. And Arizona isn't bad. So the last few years, I put this poll out just for fun. Right in 2017, we saw second year Carson Wentz make a little MVP run. Last year, we saw the second year, even though it was his first year starter, Patrick Mahomes win the MVP. This year, it's Lamar. And I said, you know, which second year breakout was the best? Everybody voted Mahomes. It was like 60% Mahomes, Hmm. 33% Lamar, and like 3% Wentz, whatever that adds up to, right? (laughs) Whatever, yeah. (laughs) 60-33 to Wentz. Is Kyler Murray going to be the next second year Breakout. I mean, he's he's flashed everything you wanted to see mm-hmm. from him this year, right? The big playability, protecting the football. He's shown enough of that dynamic running ability that elevated his um, value coming out of the draft. Well, I mean, your options are basically Kyler Murray or Daniel Jones. So, okay. Well, I'm not saying there needs to be a second year breakout every single year. That's not how things work. I mean, it, it's how things work if you're looking at second year breakouts. Is he the next guy to have a big second year breakout? I'm not saying there has to be one. I'm saying is the next is is Kyler Murray in the MVP race next year? MVP race? Yeah. I mean, no. Um, you're not ready. To, he's not. You're not ready to make that jump. No. No, I'm not. I think the intriguing thing about this matchup is so I this think he might be. <laughs> whew, this Cardinals offense has looked a lot better. Um, it's been getting better over the season. I still think they're a work in progress. I still think they feel like you know, partway through the install. Um, but they've definitely been improving as has Kyla Murray. Now, what's interesting is they're going to go up against the Los Angeles Rams team that will play a lot of man coverage. And I still don't love the Cardinals receivers. So as much as they've been able to get, you know, reasonable amount of joy, I think life will be made more difficult for them this week. But then we thought that last week and the Rams got torched. So I got to take a quick knows. This is a Thanksgiving tradition. Uh-huh. You seen this picture? Yes. Gene Frenette yeah. from the, uh, the Jags beat writer. That was back in 2013. It is one of my favorite things now. He posted probably the worst looking turkey <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. Sorry, Gene. It's it's not great. And it's like, mm, big bird going down. <laughs> She's carving it up so every every single year there's like a bunch of people that just retweet this thing mm-hmm. it's not the best looking turkey it's not it's not a good looking turkey but there's other people that put like like unseasoned raw turkey pictures out there yeah. too and it's like mm, big birds going into the oven people coming over it's, it's just hilarious to me that's <laughs> oh, good right <laughs> okay i'll retweet it so you guys can see yeah you do that 
at PFF underscore Steve. My, my follower accounts, really, if you guys aren't following me and you're one of the millions, I mean, we should have millions of followers. We have millions mm-hmm. of listeners. Everybody should be following us on Twitter. You as well. are, uh, you're losing ground to the fantasy guys. I don't want to hear it. It's starting to get embarrassing. I'm taking Arizona in this one. Sorry, Rams. It's not looking good over there. Uh, same. You are as well. Chargers, Broncos. Hmm. Drew Lock watch. Drew Lock watch. Um, yeah, this is a vaguely depressing game. I'm taking the Chargers. All I want to see is Drew Lock. <laughs> Philip Rivers not being done. <laughs> Philip Rivers isn't done. Right? He'll have other good games. You would think so, done. right? It seems too precipitous. Hmm. Is that the right word? Cliffy. Yeah, too cliff-like. Like when you're Max Kellerman and you're like, Brady's going to fall off a cliff and you predict it for five straight years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. it seems like too steep a decline to just have driven off and now Philip Rivers sucks. I don't believe in cliffs. So, Philip Rivers bounces back. I'm taking the Chargers. And if you tuned in to listen to some Chargers Broncos analysis, I'm sorry. Yeah, rough week for you. Same. We have some better games to get to. Oakland Raiders at the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, so this game is fun, and yet it's so much less fun than it was a week ago. Would have been more intriguing. Right, where the Raiders, the Raiders actually looked like they were rolling. Yeah. Instead, the Raiders get just wrecked by the Jets. And now it's like, oh, okay, fine. Now, I guess the good news is that um, the Chiefs uh, defense is still bad, and they're still more than bad enough <laughs> to turn this Raiders offense into good again. What Ben's are you ca- laughing at? Ben's calling me out for saying... Saying something bad. <laughs> what did you say? Tell he, the people what you said. He's flashed everything you want to see. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Was I describing Kyler? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, flashing does have some negative connotations in a certain in a certain way. You know what I mean, Ben? Ben. Come on, man. So anyway. Ben, I thought you were taking today off. The, uh, the Chiefs defense is definitely bad enough to make Oakland look good again on offense and actually turn this into a game. But it's hard to see how the Raiders' defense can necessarily slow down Kansas City. So yeah. what a what a crazy game they played. Was it week two? Earlier in the year, Kansas City scored 28 points all in the second quarter. Mahomes almost threw for 300 yards in the second quarter alone. Yeah. He threw for over 400 in the game, and there was a 75-yarder negated by a penalty. I mean, yeah. it was ridiculous. They, like, stopped them for three full quarters and then conceded 28 in one quarter and lost. All that said, this was a game where Mahomes actually, again, context here, could have played much better. Did not play great, despite all the stats. He left a few throws on the table. He had a fumble. This was back in the days when we were like, look, Mahomes' numbers are off the charts, but like, there's some scheme stuff in here. They're running wide open guys up the seam, and there's yards after the catch, and all these things happening. But his deep ball was fantastic in that game. The Chiefs' offense deep deep ball was fantastic in that game. I don't trust this Raiders secondary at all. Yeah. Um, the Raiders, by the way, are one of the the people waiting to take victory laps. Things you know, everyone that was everyone that loved their draft is. He's just doing laps right now. It's like, ah, <laughs> at the moment, the greatest thing about your draft is that your fourth round pick is better than your first round pick. Max Crosby over Cleveland Furl. Right. Furl, which is not great. Right. And so like, well, the victory lap came when Trayvon Mullen had the game clinching interception against sure. Ryan Finley. Yes. And the Bengals and Trayvon Mullen had a very good game. But it's also true to say that um, like Josh Jacobs has been fantastic. The problem was yeah. never that Josh Jacobs is a bad player. It's that even if he's incredible, it won't matter. Like yeah, it's, right, it's the value of adding to, you know, winning football games. He is doing as good a job as anybody in recent years of overcoming 
not great blocking and generating more of his own yardage than anybody else. But last year, Saquon Barkley looked like the best back in the league by a distance and the Giants weren't winning. This year, Saquon Barkley looks like crap because the blocking hasn't been there. So this is the same thing, right? It's like Jacobs may be doing amazing right now, but the point is if the Raiders offensive line, if he isn't able to sustain this level of overcoming blocking or if the blocking gets worse next year it won't matter and ultimately you'll have taken a guy in the first round whose production you could have gotten in the fifth we we also said for the second straight year we kind of liked the raiders draft if he just put it in reverse yes like their day three picks so max crosby was fantastic at eastern michigan good size and athleticism and all that stuff not surprised that he's been a pretty productive edge rusher the previous year they got maurice hurst I still don't think you can look at the Raiders draft and say they got Cleveland Farrell. They got Josh Jacobs, Jonathan Abram, and Trayvon Mullen with their four picks in the top 40. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you could watch football this year and say that's that's been well done. And that was that's the, point, that's the best the way. way to spend those top it 40 was picks. Four picks in the top 40. You have a once in a generation chance to make something special happen in a draft. And instead, you deliberately targeted conservative you know middle of the road picks you went a solid you went with solid as opposed to what could be spectacular right to me that just seems like a waste of a of an opportunity that doesn't come around very often i thought there were better opportunities there so and yes. even if they all work out as solid i don't think that actually changes that i if, mean I, so a lot of people are quote tweeting something i said which was um you have a this is a franchise defining draft for the raiders it's just a shame what it's defining them as right and like oh, what do you think about that now honestly i think the same thing right what you're defining yeah. your franchise as right now is average and that just seems like a waste of four picks in the top 40 you want to yeah. you want to define your franchise as ambitious as you know, uh, going someplace. You don't want to define it as we want to stick to the middle of the road and win eight games every year. I also think, again, if you're an evaluator, if you could just be honest about what is driving wins and losses. If you, I think if you looked at the Raiders team last year, I wonder how much of it is they don't know. Maybe they don't. Maybe they don't know. I mean, because because you hear people all the time. Like the big thing, I think it was the Falcons needed to work on this year. It was like we got to get better at third and one. You know, last year third and one screwed us, so we right. got to be get better at third and one. Well, if you just get better at third and one, and everything else is bad, well, you're going to win three games, like they have. Or so far. you know, the the period they went where they wanted to get tougher. They're going to get tougher. Like, We're just going to stop the run achieving? and get tough. So listen, here's my take on the Raiders. They, they picked fourth overall last year. Mm-hmm. They weren't that bad. Like they, they underachieved last year for what their roster should have been. I didn't think they were a disastrous roster. This year, they're playing more to the level of where I think they should have been last year. So when people look in a vacuum and they're like, well, last year they were this, and this year they're competing for a playoff spot, therefore they've gotten better, when I would say they're a similar team and they're just, you know, a few things have gotten better so far this year a few things have gotten better and they're on the right side of a bunch of close games yeah that too defense still a major question mark um bottom line i think Derek carr cannot have a five and a half average depth of target in this game like unleash Derek carr who cares if he throws four picks go full Jameis in this game go head to head with mahomes go get him raiders that's how you have to you, you can't play conservative football in this one Derek, got to attack Derek Carr right now has the number five overall PFF passing grade yeah I mean he like when they let him throw the ball down the field he does it pretty efficiently 10th in overall grade because 
Uh, His fumbles have been yeah, really bad. Um, but fifth in yes. passing grade. When he throws the ball, like let him throw the ball a little bit more. He can do it. Yeah. And they've, they've done a nice job. Um, we're all taking the Chiefs. Well, yes. You and I are taking the Chiefs. I don't know what everyone else is doing. Picks aren't all, all the way in. Two right. more games to get through. Sunday night football. New England Patriots at the Houston Texans. Yeah. This will be interesting. So um, I, I think this could be a game where the New England passing game gets more gets back on track. Right. It's starting to look more and more like the Texans have kind of found their level. You know, we thought earlier in the season that they might be able to essentially off the back of Deshaun Watson overachieve and become a dangerous, a really dangerous team in the postseason. It starts to look like, well, A, if you're able to cause him to have a bad game and B, if anything other than him is involved in winning the game they have problems yeah which has been the case like the loss of jj watt is significant they don't have anything like the pass rushing threat on defense that they used to have their coverage has been not good basically through the entirety of the season now they don't have pass rush covering it up and deshaun watson hasn't been able to be superman for a while yeah i mean they they're dangerous when will fuller is out there and deandre hopkins is out there i mean that's that's tough to defend but there's there is just a lot of pressure on on watson and and, his, and he's had we've said for a few t- a few years now he's had some really bad games and some really high-end games that's he's, just what he is yeah he's had one essentially good game since the colts in week seven so four yeah. games since then one of them has been above grade 70 um one of them has also been 48 he's got two games under 50 this year uh yes carolina and then baltimore baltimore um so the i think matchup wise in this one new england if you talk about like what belichick likes to do defensively he's scared of speed you know he you know he puts extra resources to stopping speed he double teams tyree kill i think will fuller gets some extra attention right he gets double teams and then we see a lot of Stephon Gilmore versus DeAndre Hopkins. So I think that'll be. He's also big on keeping these sort of mobile quarterbacks in the pocket, in the pocket, not right. letting them escape and make things happen and just be dangerous. Um, I think Deshaun Watson is like third in terms of scrambles right now. Well, that's the thing about Watson, too. He's not. So Watson. And so trying to think of how to describe this. If he if he knows exactly where he's going to go pre-snap. He'll catch it. He'll get rid of it. He'll he'll be fine. If you give him any different look after the snap, he's not as good going from that first read to the second read. He's a little impatient, and that's when he looks to kind of break the pocket. So if pre-snap aligns, you'll get that quick passing game. If it doesn't, he'll try to break contain. So that's where New England either has to play really well from a contain standpoint, and if Watson does break the pocket, he becomes extremely dangerous, or Watson has to just be a little bit more patient because they're not going to be coming after him. He's got to be patient to get to that next read, see if the next man's open, and then look to take off. It's a little like Russell Wilson, but I think with less design to it. When they have to hold the ball and start working through progressions, they're not comfortable sitting in a pocket um wilson starts to move around and essentially buy himself time to do the reading on the move right yeah. i think watson does the same thing but it's with less design to it he yeah. just instinctively is not comfortable in the pocket doing yeah. that and starts to get panicky moves around and then in the course of doing that he's able to find where he wants to go then but, he looks up and yeah, he does look to right try to and he also will thing. take off way more than russell wilson when right. that happens um but it's it's an interesting dynamic because the Patriots will essentially try and keep him hemmed in the pocket, which will probably go one of two ways, right? Either he'll be able to do that dancing and create enough time to buy some throws and make some plays, or 
it's actually really the way to beat him because you force him in a place where he's really not comfortable and he'll cause some problems and take a lot of sacks. Well, our, people always say against mobile quarterbacks, you can't play man coverage, right? The Patriots play more man than anyone. The way that you do it is you have to play with good lane discipline because yes. if he breaks contain, it's a it's a thirty yard gain. So just again, something to keep an eye on that cat and mouse game. Do the Patriots stay in their man coverage looks? Do they mix it up with more zone? Do they play contain properly? Does Watson break containing? He's got to create some of those spectacular plays. I mean, if if the if we talk about the Texans winning this game, I think we're Watson's made four or five big time throws, and he gets because it's in prime time. He gets MVP right. discussion because it, that's all that matters. He has three games this season in which he's taken six sacks, and only one of them it was against a team that actually has any kind of pass rush. So honestly, that that game plan of keeping him hemmed in a pocket is his biggest nightmare because that's a it's where he doesn't want to be and that's how you get him to take some ill-advised sacks and basically bury the offense and new england likes to just they like to compress the walls on you they don't like to you know necessarily beat their man and lose contain exactly magnifies what he doesn't want to happen so i do think so new england's passing attack has been you know the big story brady's regressing nobody's getting open and those they're, they're all slow i think Game in the dome, so they're not playing in the, in the storms anymore. Game in the dome against this Texan secondary. Um, between this game, I think they play at Cincinnati. I'm sorry, Kansas City, and then at Cincinnati. I think New England has a chance in this little December stretch to kind of change their narrative that their offense is the big um, issue and the defense is carrying them. So, and if they don't, I think that's concerning. So, I think this is a big stretch for New England to take advantage of some porous defenses, show that they could still win with the pass game and show that they're um, as well-rounded a team as the Ravens right now. We'll yeah. them a few weeks Another ago. Another fun thing to watch, can Nikhil Harry separate against bad players? There you go. You're just going to be all over that. Your whole, his whole career, huh? Yeah, pretty much. Final uh, game. We're both taking New England. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, what did, they, did they play on Monday Night Football last year? Who? Viking Seahawks? Uh, I don't remember. Wasn't that Monday Night Football? So this is a really Wilson interesting... had like the worst throw of the season in that game. Yeah. This is a really interesting game because... Vikings at Seahawks, by the way, is what we're discussing. Yeah. Monday Night Football. Monday Night Football. Um, so it's fascinating because at the moment, um, the I think the general consensus is that Minnesota is winning this game. The PFF consensus is that the reverse is happening. So if you look at uh, PickWatch... If anyone doesn't know that, pickwatch.com. It's basically where like it collates. Um, They're all taking Minnesota? A lot of people. It's like 66% is taking Minnesota. On the road. Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins on the road. In prime, prime time. time. On the road. Yes. Outside of the friendly confines of a dome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In Seattle. In where, Seattle. Where bad things have happened. With MVP Russell Wilson. Yeah. 67% are taking Minnesota right now. So... The general consensus is Minnesota's taking this. The PFF consensus, so far everybody whose picks are actually filled in are going Seattle. Green Line, which is driven off the data, likes Minnesota or likes uh, Seattle even more than the market does. So Vegas has them as a three-point favorite, which is essentially a pick game, right, because they're at home. Right. But Green Line says the edge is actually more than that. It should be – Seattle should be a greater favorite than just the home record. Um, it's in, it's it's sort of a fascinating um, game because of that, right? The the Vikings have kind of been rolling. They've got themselves back to parity with the Green Bay Packers, mm-hmm. and generally the outside perception is, yeah, they can they can go and 
beat Seattle. And we really don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, look, I feel the 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 cousins narrative thing is more fun than anything. I, there's there's nothing in sports that's like because this thing has happened the first you know fifteen times, therefore it's going to happen the sixteenth. History, Steve. History. You know, but um, cousins absolutely can go have a a good game. So cousins is yeah. now the number three graded passing quarterback at PFF. He's been playing really well. This only year. Russell Wilson, MVP caliber Russell Wilson, and Drew Brees, who's only played, uh, what, 220 dropbacks this yep. season, have a higher grade. Yeah, since those early games, Cousins has just been he's incredibly efficient, incredibly right. accurate. He's fourth overall, right? When you go to overall grade, the rushing comes in at that, and Lamar jumps him, right? Lamar's number two when you look at rushing. Cousins well. had those ridiculous fumbles on scrambles earlier in the sure. year. Sure. Bad ones. But what's interesting is, so we were, you know, started off the year. Remember, like, after two weeks, there was, like, a mutiny in Minnesota. Like, Stephon Diggs was supposedly going to get traded. Yeah. Adam Thielen was calling him out to the media. Like, this there was a disaster. Everyone thought Kirk Cousins was garbage, and the whole thing was going to implode. Then he goes on a run and plays at an MVP level, level for, like, you know, four or five game stretch in the middle. And then Kansas City, we have... You know, an iffy performance. It's like, well, there it goes. The roller coasters come back down. This is the start of the decline again. And then maybe, maybe Cousins can come back up in time for the playoffs. And that's when you actually want him to get hot. But since then, he's kind of played well again a couple of games. So we're now talking about a, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine game period in which Cousins has been pretty good. Yeah. Better than pretty good, in fact. Been at least pretty good. That is the best stretch of his career. It is more than good enough for this team to actually win things. And it feels massively unsustainable. No. So here's, you know, we mentioned a few weeks ago, I don't know. I haven't updated the stat, but remember cousins had something like 30% of his yards coming just off of boot action and screens. That's a massive percentage. So I think the Vikings have done a really good job of scheming it up, you know, they create, I mean, if I told you before, if I was playing quarter, you know, these outside zone schemes, I would play the quarterback every time I would say, eh, trust my guys to play the run and the cutback. I'm attacking the quarterback, but they, the, it, it's not that simple, right? Because sometimes they, they, they boot, but they're going to throw it back to the screen. And other times it's a full boot. Sometimes they're booting both ways. Cousins has been, you know, rolling out to his left mm-hmm. like crazy and then unbelievably efficient doing that. So it's not as simple as, hey, just, you know, play the boot action every single time. But I think if you could take away some of those free yards that the Vikings offense has created, the screen game and the, um, you know, the boot action, the rollout stuff, that's where they've got all those free yards. And then Cousins in the drop back game and in the red zone where he had struggled previously in his career has been really good. Like he's made some incredible red zone throws back of the end zone away from coverage. He's done a really nice job and he just looks really, really comfortable. And I think a big part of it is because the Vikings have created some of the easy stuff and then he's excelling in, you know, in what you would call, you know, the true dropback situations, right? Yeah. And if you take out the first couple of weeks where he did struggle, he's the number one great quarterback in the NFL, both overall and in passing. Like yep. Cousins since that point has genuinely been playing at an MVP level. It's just amazing how little confidence anybody has in that continuing. Right. It is. Because it's Kirk Cousins. Yeah. And you expect him to come back down to earth at some point. And this feels like the game where that would happen if it's going to happen. Uh, Last year when they did play, I think it was ugly both ways. Um, 
neither guy played great. I mentioned that Russell Wilson throw. That was like end of the half. He was about to get sacked. He flipped it to the sideline and instead the sideline was called Eric Kendricks. Went right into his hands. Was called Eric Kendrick, who dropped it when he easily could have just you know he probably would have run it. What I would say ninety yards for a touchdown. So other than I I think multiple things about the Minnesota Vikings feel like they are unsustainable. They feel like they're built on foundations of sand. By that I mean a Kirk Cousins is currently playing at an MVP level. We've never really seen that over an extended period of time before in his career. Two. Their offensive line is still not good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's decent. Yeah, it's reasonable. The tackles, it's questionable inside. At some point, that becomes a problem when you face really good defenses. Three, their cornerbacks are, are a problem. Um, against good teams in particular, they have real issues. We're actually reaching the stage where if it wasn't for the fact that he's a suspension waiting to happen, Holton Hill should probably be starting over Xavier Rhodes. Um, that extreme, Sam? I think so. I think Rhodes is an issue, and I think Holton Hill, in limited sample size, might be their best cover corner. Um, Either way, the fact that that's a discussion is a problem, right? Because the Vikings have one of the better pass rushes in in the NFL. They have a very good scheme, and they have cornerbacks that get eviscerated by good receivers. This guy says Sam hates the Vikings. Okay. I I don't think that's true, but sure. You must Um, not know your history. So I just think there's multiple aspects of this team that are questionable and they're sort of, they're able to paper over them so far, but is that a long-term, can you win against the better teams in the NFL with those issues? My suggestion would be no. I mean, all that said, here are the Seahawks issues. They run the ball too much with their MVP quarterback playing at the highest level of his career. Um, I already said, don't get fooled by the fact that he only had 200 yards last week. He lost 100 yards from drops alone last week against the Eagles. Mm -hmm. So he played at an MVP level still last week. Uh, Seattle's defense has played better in recent weeks, but it's nothing like what they were. Their D is not good. Right? So Seattle has just as many issues. I mean, this is... Sure. I mean, I'm saying... This is the story of the NFC and why it's so wide open. It's a whole bunch of flawed teams that are... Good, though. I'm not necessarily saying that this is the game where all Minnesota's problems are going to come back to roost. Well, you hate the Vikings. I'm just saying that at some point they are right. This is not I don't think that unless those things improve or some aspects of them improve, this is a team that can beat the best teams in the NFL. I think ultimately, like 2017, you can see it coming. Right. We're going to reach a point where they face a team and the problems are suddenly exposed. And those are the issues. But I don't know if this is going to be it, though. Greg, though Russell Wilson going up against those Minnesota corners feels like it could be, you know, problems. Yeah, I think it'll be a good one. Um, will be a good game. As as I, if I'm Seattle down the stretch here, I would put more on my MVP's plate. Yeah, put more on Wilson's plate here in December. Let him carry you to a, a number one seed or a, a buy, I should say. This is uh, this is MVP bowl since oh, week two. These are the two highest graded quarterbacks in the NFL. Yeah, Cousins is not in the MVP race. Nobody will allow him. They won't. But honestly, like <laughs> the Green Bay game happened. Yeah. So in 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 this season, weeks one and two happened. But Cousins that, Cousins was on the winning end of a game where he threw ten passes, and the following week was a disaster against the Packers. And he's played really well since then. Yeah. And honestly, the numbers against Green Bay don't actually look that terrible. 
Like they were. I mean, he was oh, awful. He had like five turnover-worthy plays and two fumbles that didn't show up. I know that. Yes. But what I'm saying is when you get to the point where he's been numbers are good. really well for an extended period of time and people just start looking at the stats, he'll look good. Oh, his stats look great. Right? Yeah. Whereas well, you need to actually see grade or remember the game to right. really appreciate just how bad that was. Well, remember the, we were talking about week four with the Bears. The numbers don't look bad there. He was That's terrible. what I'm saying. Yeah, you go through it and it's, you know, 230 yards, a touchdown, two interceptions, passer rating of 50. Like it's not good but it's not oh my god what happened which is what actually did happen should be a good game we're all going seattle like we said a lot of people go in minnesota which means yeah it'll be should be a good one on prime time ken cousins win in prime time on the road outdoors Mm -hmm. did he recently didn't they what was their other prime time game recently uh dallas beat dallas that wasn't outside don't yeah yeah Indoors. I'm just saying the MVP Bowl. MVP Bowl, Minnesota and Seattle. So there you have it. It's week 13. It is. Nice and snug under two hours. We did it. Mm-hmm. Everybody enjoy their Thanksgiving. Hopefully you guys are listening to us when you're traveling, enjoying family, giving thanks. Sam's American now, so he's going to give thanks and, and do the whole thing. You're loving it, right? I'm thankful for the, uh, the Driscoll Biscoll. Yeah. I'm thankful ball. for the next coffee that you're going to get me whenever that happens. Right. Next time I go, you'll, I I, if I've learned from you bitching at me, you'll get a coffee. Don't forget Cyber 40, 40% off all PFF annual products. That's Edge or Elite. You're going to get it for 365 days. 366 mm-hmm. if it's a leap year. Also shop.pff.com. We have uh, ugly Christmas sweaters. Is it a leap year next year? Would I don't you? know. What the hell? Like? I think it's a leap year next year. So you might get 366 days of access. Wow. Have you checked that? Do we know that's, a, that's how it works? That's what we should sell. We should have a leap year sale. Oh, okay. Talk to Jeff. Yeah, shop.pff.com. Go check out all those things. And everybody enjoy your Thanksgiving and enjoy the football. We'll see you guys Monday morning with your week 13 recap. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, You have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at nfl.com slash pro football focus nfl